that lone star from a thousand miles away Calling me back home, though I ventured far astray When I see that beacon shining for me all along It calls me back to Texas and to home all right, good evening, everyone, and welcome back to episode eight of the New World Signals podcast. As always, I am on my Orange County estate overlooking my Latifundia-like fields of tobacco and cotton with the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains in the background. It is a wonderful vista. It was an absolutely gorgeous evening. I was posting about it on my Telegram. There was an orange hue that washed over everything, almost like in Hollywood movies where the camera goes to Mexico. Um, and there was a there was a rainbow and there was a thunderstorm with lightning flashing right next to the rainbow. And all while that orange hue was and it was it was just it was an overwhelming sensation of like five or six different weather events at once. So this is this is a very auspicious evening indeed. And it's an auspicious evening nonetheless, uh, as I am joined by a uh, outstanding guest, a, uh, a former I believe a candidate was it was it Texas State Congress or was it uh, was it uh, Federal Congress for Texas? Texas State House. Okay, so uh, a, a former a former candidate for the Texas State House, a blue check mark verified on Twitter. Uh, we are we are among auspicious company. A uh, veteran, a husband, a father, and a patriot. I would like to send a very very warm welcome to Mr. Joshua R. Ham for uh, for coming on the New World Signal Show. How are you doing, Mr. Ham? I am blessed, sir. I have been able to enjoy a fabulous day. Got some cabinetry put in the kitchen. Uh, been scraping my door outside at 113 degrees so I can get it painted up later. Uh, so, you know, I'm losing weight the American way. Exactly. Yes. Through hard work, through um, uh, through self-improvement, through um, uh, building things. That is the That is the American way to lose weight. Um, and Mr. Ham, you know, you know that this is a, um, a this is an Americana podcast. This is a podcast almost entirely dedicated to at least some aspect or another uh, of the American consciousness, the American culture, the American spirit, uh, American history, whatever you want to call it. But it is whatever we know as America and we feel to be America. And every guest I have on, I like to discuss some aspect of Americana that relates most closely to them. And when we were discussing when I was when I was asking you to come on my show, when we were discussing what um, what it was what it would be best uh, for me and you to talk about. What kind of what kind of ended up being the topic is almost as um, uh, you know, because you're 38 right now, sir, I believe almost Roger. a sort of a, a retrospect of of the life that you lived of the um uh, of the of the americana of an individual man who you know was I, I, you were born and raised in texas sir uh born here um raised here from like 12 or 10 on i spent a couple years in tennessee a couple years in kansas and then came back here okay yeah. So, so the, the the life of a gentleman who who while born and raised for a large part of his life in Texas has kind of seen almost almost many aspects of the of America uh, and and watched as he was growing as he was as his education was occurring both in and outside of school uh, what was what was occurring with the America around him and I believed. I believe that would be the best um uh, the best topic to discuss with you, sir. Was the um uh, was almost almost how your life and how the experiences you've had have been affected and have affected 
uh, not just the America around you, but 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 the America within you. And that's that's kind of what we were what we were going to talk about today. So yeah. um, uh, it, 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 to me, it's almost like. I understand. I, I, did you watch the video of that World War Two vet who was crying as he said, this isn't what my boys and I died for? Right? Yes, I, I did. The, the, the Marine, I believe. Yes. And so it's it's kind of that same thing wherein, you know, uh, Jack Posobiec, though, you know, taking it from someone else uh, uh, or uh, sharing it further, talks about the Burger King and the Pizza Hut, you know, the red glasses, the 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 the. The idea of the respect that was given to middle class working people in America. And so it's like, and that obviously doesn't exist anymore. And so it's like, how do you navigate from what was to what is? And can you create a pathway for yourself to live Americana in a society that despises it from the top down? Yes, I agree. And I think that's kind of the 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 concept that I have in my head, at least, is like, you know, because obviously I was blind for most of it, so I didn't really recognize what was happening. And yet I'm still able to live my life. And, and I'm, I, I, I would say that I'm very successful. You know, I've got a wife, I've got kids, and that's a hell of a lot more than a lot of folks got. And so it's like, how, how do you navigate living, working within a culture diaspora that is anathema to your virtues, values, culture, tradition, and heritage? No, I, yes, that's. I think that's actually that's actually very profound. I think that would be very uh, very helpful, not just to. Not just to a lot of the younger listeners in this audience, but to even some of the the older listeners who still who still maybe maybe they have established themselves in a similar way to how you have, but they haven't necessarily begun looking back and trying to figure out how that life that they did indeed live fits into this sort of um, into this aspect into this notion of of Americana of how they lived Americana of how they lived being an American. Yes, so. Um, Mr. Ham, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a, think of a good place to start. I mean, uh, we could, we could, we could start as early as, as your childhood and early life and upbringing, uh, um, if, if that's what you would like, or we could start wherever you believe it would be appropriate. So, well, yeah, no, let's, let's, let, let's start there because that's, that's the foundation, right? Mm-hmm. And so the foundation, and I'll, I'll, let me first say up front that um, I got, uh, blown up in Afghanistan, so I have traumatic brain injuries. So a lot of my memories aren't memories necessarily. Um, they are they're like memories of memories. You know, yeah. like I've had conversations with people and and uh, and my parents and whatnot. And so it's 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 not my memory necessarily. It's a it's a recollection from a memory they have. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yes. <clears throat> which probably means that it, that's really how almost all memories actually are because we transform them within our own mind. I'm just more aware of it, but that's immaterial. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the thing that I would say is that uh, what I remember most of my youth 
is just playing outside with my brother, living in a home where there was order in which um, there were consequences for bad choices, right? I was always loved, but I was also held accountable. Like, if I screwed up, there were going to be consequences. You know, the the, uh, the old joke of, you know, sh- my mom can whoop me and it doesn't hurt, but if, if it's bad enough that she has to tell my dad and then he gets a hold of me, well, that's a whole different ballgame because now we're into the actual pain territory, you know? Uh, and so, uh, like my brother didn't bring home good enough grades. And so they just kept taking things from his room until all he had was a mattress on the floor and three days worth of, uh, clothes. And he was just like, you are going to do what is required to be able to navigate life. And I don't care if you don't like it, you're going to do it. And the question is whether you're going to do it with a lot of pain or without a lot of pain. And so that that general feeling of having parents that were invested in me and in my success creates who I am today. And so that that comes through in the fact that we went to church every week. You know, you're going to hear people who are like, oh, you know, what's one hour a week? And it's like, it's it's infinitely more than zero hours a week. Like, go do this. Um we we did boy scouts and so i was trained from an early age that the goal was for me to be self-sufficient so i was required to learn how to cook i was required to learn how to do my own laundry and make my own bed and and just slowly over time i was taught that i was a person with agency who was responsible for his choices and you don't become the person I am today without that foundation. And so for those that don't have that foundation, you're going to have to build it yourself. And you are going to have to be the person who, A, holds yourself accountable, and B, understands that you can't do that fully. So you have to find other men to mentor you, to teach you, to train you, and join them so that they can hold you accountable. Iron sharpens iron, right? Look look at the 12-step program. The 12-step program does not work if you just read the book and try to do it on your own. It requires you to go to meetings, to interact with other people who are going to hold you accountable. That is exactly what has to happen for men to become men. There's no... uh, there's no coming of age ritual. There's no set delineation period in which you go from child to man. It's a shift in mindset in which you take, you know, accountability for who you are and where you are. And then you begin to move forward as an agent of your own making. That's when you become a man, you become a productive man. Once other people care what you say, because at 18 years old, nobody cares what you have to say. Literally nobody. You have zero value and worth to other people because you haven't provided that yet. Men only gain value to society to the extent to which they are able to provide value to society. 
women are different, right? Women provides value to society because they continue society. They have children. That's that men and women are completely different. And so you have to know that you have to understand that at 18 years old, nobody cares. If you want to be a person that other people will listen to and care about, then you have to become that person. Men are not born. They are made. Mm. So you must make that. There's a really uniquely, there's a uniquely um, uh, Western, but more specifically, there's a very uniquely almost Anglo-American frontiersman. uh, 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 What's the right way to say, say this is like, that's a, that's a very Anglo-American frontiersman sort of, lens to have on that mindset this was made probably this 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 exactly in the words and the way you're describing it it became the most obvious sort of um uh, as america this sort of outpost of of western white civilization in the wilderness surrounded on all sides by darkness and red men um this sort of this sort of um uh, uh, uh men making themselves into something into into being you know, into being the kind of man that needed to be something, you know, from a very young age, from a very young age, you know, what's unique about the founding stock of America, as opposed to the founding stock of the Germanic tribes coming into Europe and founding their, their various kingdoms that would later become Germany and and France and all these other places at the latter end of the Roman empire, what makes America unique in terms of its founding stock in that it's, it's young men, it's founders needed to be almost everything at once they needed to be a, they needed to have a knowledge of first aid and medical practices they needed to know how to shoot and clean and maintain a rifle they needed to know something about building houses they needed to know a little bit of law uh, they needed to in order to um, uh, incorporate what they had built you know they needed to know uh, how to organize right how to um, uh, have a have they needed to know how to hunt how to butcher right and everyone this sort of um, uh, this American encyclopedia, uh, encyclopedianism almost like everyone needed to be a jack of all trades in order for this frontier settlement that they were carving out of the wilderness to survive. And this sort of mindset, I, even though the need for that isn't isn't as externally pressing as much as it used to be, um, the need there still is within the American spirit, this need to be good at if not everything, at least a couple of different things. And that is, I think that very much goes with what you're saying and that you need that sort of foundation as that you are an actor uh, and you are beholden to this, uh, to this uh, way of existence, whether it be society or, or, or culture, whatever you say that begot you, uh, you, you are beholden to it by virtue of the fact that you came from it. And in order to be the kind of individual who is of the caliber, who is of the type of individual that brought this, this this thing that begot you into being you need to you need to become yourself you need to 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 advance towards these things yeah <clears throat> and let's be very clear at 18 years old i was still a retard you know so um before we go into that the the best description i've heard is specialization is for insects mm-hmm. men must be able to do multiple things. It, it, it is simply required. Um, specialization is for bugs. But yeah, at 18 years old, although I was infinitely more prepared than everybody else, I mean, you've been to basic training, so I'm sure you've seen the people that don't know how to do laundry, have never folded clothes, don't know <laughs> how to actually, like, don't 
understand hygiene. Like we're talking real basic level stuff that they're just incapable of. Right. I mean, I've been on week long bivouacs when I was in the Boy Scouts and whatnot. So I, I had a level of preparedness that was far beyond your average person. And yet I was still an 18 year old retard because I was 18 years old. I didn't know anything. I had, I, I, I had a good foundation but I hadn't built any walls or anything. There was no frame that was situated there. That takes time. The The foundation is what's poured before you can actually start to build, right? And so at 18 years old, I'm, uh, I'm what we would now call, you know, just your general autist. I mm-hmm. don't know how to speak well with people. Uh, I'm, I'm a traditional Texan and that I talk shit to the wrong people, <laughs> which is why I now have fake teeth here in the front. Cause I got punched in the mouth in basic training for talking smack because I was just joking around and having fun. And the boxer from Boston did not appreciate this at all. <laughs> and, and so I, I didn't understand how to interact well with people. Uh, the, the way I always heard it or, no, the, the way I've always described it is there are three types of intelligence, right? You've got your book smarts, you've got your your street smarts, and you've got your people smarts, right? And you're, you, I don't, I know people who are really good at one thing, and those are our autists. We know them, right? I've known a, a few people who are good at two. I've never met anybody who's good at all three. Right. But that's the goal. The goal is to become a person who actually is all three. So now I can talk and I'm pretty good at it. But I spent years learning how to do it. You know, after I got blown up, I was effectively a robot. I probably spent a thousand hours watching stand up comedy so that I could relearn timing. And facial expressions and uh, uh, motor movements and so on, so that I could interact with people, because no man is an island unto himself. So that means that it, that it's incumbent upon me, if I'm going to interact with society, and I must, it's incumbent upon me to be able to interact with society in a successful fashion. So I had to learn that skill. Um, I, I didn't get along well with a lot of people, even when I was in the army. You know, if if thirty eight year old me could go back and talk to eighteen year old me, my God, would I be successful in the army? Because I was so wrapped up in my my virtues, in in you know, this is what is right and true and good, that I wasn't very good at tact, you know. And so, I got out at eight years as an E four. Because I was unable to learn how to compromise, not in my values, but in how I communicated with people, right? Because there's a right way and a wrong way to tell people to go fuck themselves. There's a right way and a wrong way to, you know, go about doing things so that it can actually get done. Like, we... we People who are very honorable sometimes lose track of the of which is more important, being right or winning. And I would get caught up in being right, and I would lose because of it. 
And so as I've gotten older, I've had to really, really work on what we would now call a Machiavellian mindset, but which really just is understanding people. If you haven't read it, go read How to Win Friends and Influence People. It, it was made almost 100 years ago, and it's still humans haven't changed. Right. Read, read read one of the older editions. Don't read the uh, I think the 1984 reprint in which they removed I think the last chapter. Right. Yeah. I, read read the original. Try to get your hands on one of the earlier editions. Yeah, and it's on Audible if you need it there. But uh, between that and the richest man in Babylon, you can be very successful both financially and with people, because nothing new. It, there's nothing new under the sun. Like all the political problems that we're having right now, were talked about. With Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, they literally talked about all the same problems that we're having today. There's nothing new. You just got to go discover it and implement it into your life. And then, in addition to an understanding of wisdom and philosophy and truth, you also need to add in physical skills because your body is not just some sort of, you know, uh, meat fact uh, a meat motor for your brain your brain and it, your soul is connected to your body your brain is connected to your body and so uh we saw it in the military all the time you know a chain is only as strong as its weakest link so if you're a 400 pound fat ass you found your weak link go work on that before you go worry about other things when when my biggest problem was i was a sociopath because i had Brain damage, man. I, I literally was completely disconnected from humanity. I did not understand people. Like, I really was a robot for a while, right? And so that's what I had to work on. So that's what I spent a ridiculous amount of time, you know, reading philosophy and reading, um, and, and like I said, watching stand up comedy and doing all of those things that were really uncomfortable and I hated, but were necessary because. If you're a smart person, you know what your weak point is, so go do that. And that's what's key to actually becoming the man that you can become. And I definitely would not be married with kids if I hadn't spent that thousand hours learning how to integrate with polite society. No, that's that's all that's all extremely important. And I think it's it's indicative. It's indicative of the state, and this is this is a conversation I've been having with a lot of other gentlemen on this side of things in these sort of spheres, uh, younger and older, about the sort of the uh, the problem that uh, the problem that I guess you could call our side of things, whether you call it the dissident right, the online right, or the side of truth. I don't know what name is taking hold yet, but there, there, there's a large problem, not so much because there is a lack. Of competency amongst uh, our guys, it's just a it's a it's a misallocation of competency. We have too much, we have too much of it. At least you know among the young men, a lot of them, a lot of them are directionless, uh, and they know they're directionless. But they're not directionless because they've tried out the system, or they tried to go into society, or they tried to do something and then got rejected. They just simply never tried. They've simply well, never gone forth. And to be fair. And they've been lied to for 13 years at least. Yeah, almost right? certainly. And, and, and so they're they're beginning to realize 
Because that's the funny thing about reality. It doesn't matter what your perception is. Reality will beat you about the head, neck, and shoulders until you accept it. And so eventually you experience enough pain and you go, well, obviously this ain't working. So I need to figure something out, right? Uh, depending on how deep you swallowed that hook. You know, if the, the question is always, is there more pain in accepting reality and changing your modus operandi so that you can operate within reality well, or is there more pain in the cognitive dissonance you would experience in having to change? And the more decisions that you've made, like, for example, if you spent another four years in college and gotten a degree or six or eight or you know, you've been out there burning bras and, you know, flashing your titties and doing OnlyFans or, you know, becoming 400 pounds or because, you know, beauty is subjective or whatever. Like the, the more steps that you take along the path of non-reality, the more that the, the pain of cognitive dissonance becomes worse than the pain of reality. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I've actually, you know, this is something at least I've personally noticed. And I think many in the audience will notice it's, it's like, you know, many men talk about how they've been wronged and they've been lied to and they have been right. We wouldn't we wouldn't have we wouldn't be in these fears if that wasn't the case. The same time, though, it's sort of like I'm a, and it's sort of it's sort of like I'm a, you're screaming, come save me when you're sitting in a uh, in a neck deep pool. Right. You know, it, it really, it's only, you know, the only one keeping you in there is you. And one of the things it's like, one of the, one, one of the things I would like to, um, uh, I would like to try to make clear to, you know, any of the young men listening to this who have a direction, it's like, well, you know, it, it, go out and try, go out and do something, right? Uh, it doesn't matter what it is, so long as it's something that you are doing, right, in well, the world. It, it, uh, it, it's because it, they're focusing more on the ego than they are mm -hmm. on completing the mission. Mm -hmm. Which matters more, being right or winning? Yes. Yeah, and we all we all have to make, you know, we all we are all principled men. I, I, I don't think I've met a single man on this side of things, young or not, who did not have a sense of honor and a sense of principles and a sense of right and wrong just naturally. Like, that's not what's in question. But, you know, there's a... Focus. There's a a lot of one of my favorite stories my probably my favorite epic uh my favorite epic that's ever been written is the mahabharata which is the national epic of india uh it is about aryans it is not about what lives in india right now it is about the ancient aryan people that invaded india a very long time ago yeah, and there's alexander a scene the what's up say again alexander the great and them yeah well, this no, this was thousands of years before them. This was like oh, okay. the, the 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 Vedic Aryan invasions, who's like 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 Manu, like that far back. Mm. Um, and um, uh, and but there's a scene in the Mahabharata towards the end of it, where um, uh, where Yudhishthira, who's the um, uh, who's the the eldest of the five Panduvas or the sons of Pandu, um, who are the protagonists, the 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 heroes of the story. They're all demigods from different gods, but Yudhishthira is the oldest, and he's the he's the son of Dharma, the god of order. And they are um, uh, they are fighting this war, this massive war, the Mahabharata war, which J.R.R. Tolkien uh, used as his basis for the uh, for the war between the kingdoms of men and uh, Sauron, 
at the end of the um uh, at the end of the series and once they won the war that ended the um uh, the age of magic and begun the age of men well in the mahabharata the mahabharata war ended the uh the bronze age and begun the kali yuga in the dharmic age cycle but there's a scene towards the end where Yudhishthira, who is the son of the god of order, who has never told a lie in his life because he is he is quite literally a, a, the demigod of the truth, the god that is truth, that is metaphysical reality, right? And he is fighting – him and his brothers are fighting their, um, uh, their Brahma master, their trainer, the one who um, – I, for, I forget his name, but the one who trained all of them in the arts of, uh, of war – of 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 fighting of being men of being uh aristocrats rulers and they're fighting against him because he has sided with their enemies uh the uh the kuruvas or the kuru elders who are the antagonists of the book and none of them can kill him but he said to them before the war because they met right before the war happened uh their teacher said to him i will throw down my weapons and leave myself to die when you Eudistera, the man who is quite literally the son of the truth will tell a lie. And so, and there's this scene that's happening, you know, the, their, their teacher is killing their men left and right. He's like this unstoppable force on the battlefield. Like, like imagine like, like fighting Gandalf or Merlin or someone like that. And so Eudistera, Eudistera walks up to him, the, the, the son of the truth. And he says, um, he says, your son is dead, but they had not killed his son. And he knew that Eudistra walked up to him and told him a lie. And so he threw down his weapons and opened himself up to die. And the reason I've gone on this long extrapolation about this, this, um, uh, this, this uh, book that, you know, people may call me a Pajit lover for referencing. But, um, but the reason I bring this up is because, you know, even, even quite literally the son of the, of the representation of the avatar of metaphysical truth needed to make compromises with reality in order to accomplish the mission in order to what he to do what he needed to do and i think i think that's a that that really proves your point about you know machiavellian has a lot of negative things but it's being pragmatic it's understanding what it's a, it's understanding that going too far in one direction is throwing the baby out with the bathwater but also you need to make compromises Right. And you don't, you know, you don't survive and you don't win if you try to stick to your principles 100% of the time. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, it, if we go religion. So first of all, for those who would sit there and say, oh, I can't believe that he would bring up, you know, Dharmic inspiration or whatever. Mm. First of all, shut your faces. Because if you were unwilling to take wisdom from any source that is available, you are a fool. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you accept it at face value. You must measure it and measure it well based upon what you know and understand and expand your thoughts from there. But if all you do is simply disregard any potential information that you might gain, then you are a fool mm -hmm. and you will continue down the same path you're on. So that's the first thing. And, and the second is, yes, you, you if we if we start to go down the religious road just a little bit, mm -hmm. this this it's this concept that man must be holy all the time, right? Or that uh, uh, while it is true that a man exemplifies his virtues and what he does and how he acts, his acts 
also do not make the man, right? And so just because I do tobacco and I understand that I'm an addict of tobacco, I may be lesser... Right. I may be lesser of a man than I should be, but that doesn't mean that I'm not a good man. Now, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to sit there and say I'm a great man. I'm not. There, there are many men who are far greater than me, but I am a good man. I am a good husband. I am a good father. Right. And so this this concept of, of all or none purity test bullshit is the most self-destructive thing that inhabits the right. And I think it comes directly from Protestantism, wherein we begin to say that if you do one thing, then that determines who you are. It's like Bill Clinton, like him, love him, loathe him or hate him, I don't care. But his legacy is not actually defined by a blowjob. People like to think it is, but that man was president. No, his legacy is much more defined by NAFTA and destroying a lot of the middle class in America for those that pay attention and know the past, right? And for uh, committing some of the most heinous acts of uh, federal government overreach, I think, in the entire history of the federal government. Sure, and being so corrupt that it's 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 mind-boggling, mm. right? And so you can sit there and say, okay, yeah, the 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 blowjob is an example of that character defect, character mm. flaw. Sure, but the more you focus on the blowjob, the less you're paying attention to everything else that he's actually doing. Yeah, right. Hunter Biden sitting there and doing crack and everything else. Yeah, that makes for salacious gossip, but do, does that matter? Does it does it matter? Because there are already so many ties for spies and everything else. Like you're you're getting caught up in gossip, and you're getting caught up in in these minute details as opposed to focusing on the mission, right? Attacking attacking the scarecrows that they put up for you to attack. You know, the same way I think this is is the same way you mentioned. Sort of the uh, the, the the purity. The sort of the, uh, the 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 purity spiraling and um, and you said you said it possibly might have come from Protestantism. I am not one to uh, I am not one to cause uh, or to inflame sectarian tensions within the right because there's plenty of people doing that. But um, uh, but I've I've seen I know what you mean with it, and it's like this sort of this sort of um, uh, mindset as it's like oh well my specific like pee pee poo poo theology from like this one thinker that is like fifteen forty six or whatever. Uh, or this one theologian, or my one super specific denomination of Christianity, or my or my specific ideology, or my um, uh, whatever else, right? This sort of, and anyone who isn't this, and anyone who who doesn't exactly uphold, or at least uphold to ninety percent of my standards, um, is not welcome. And I will spend more time attack. That's another scarecrow. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like there's there is zero percent reason why Protestants, Catholics, and Orthodox aren't working together to destroy the eighty percent of things that they agree on are problems. And after we win, then we can worry about the twenty percent we disagree on. Well, but you're so focused on this little bitty BS, and and oh, you're not quite right. It's like if you would just shut up. And just work with people who you're not going to agree with. But if you can 
by God, if we can just get 51% every time, then we keep winning. Well, it, it, and and we're know, not even we're not even talking about people that we disagree with fifty one percent on. We're talking about people that we disagree about ten to twenty percent on. Oh no, uh, uh, mm-hmm. we want a fair tax and you want a flat tax, so now we have to burn each other at the at the stake. It's like if you don't, it it, it is. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh no, it is, and it's like it's like I'm a. Uh... You know, it's it, it, it's it's the it's to the point where it's like, well, I'm, uh, it's like, oh, well, if we don't get it exactly right in my way, um, then I'm uh, then then uh, you know, there's no point of, of of us winning in the first place. It's like there's no point of even acting if it's not in this specific, like, in order to reinstall the Catholic theocracy or the Orthodox patriarch or whatever. And the thing is, the thing is, though, is it's like, it's. I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought there. I had a whole I had a whole point I was going to go down. Um, and it had something to do with the fact that no one, no one is willing to compromise or not a lot of people are willing to compromise. And not, no, I, I remembered it, right? Whenever you start talking in this vein specifically, whenever you start mentioning how, Hey, we need to have a little bit of ecumenicalism, ecumenical, how do, how do I, you, you, you know, everyone knows what I'm talking about. You need to have a little bit of a, of a, almost a Confederate mindset. We're, we're how about dis- just a little bit of grace for people that are, that are 80% of your allies. Like yeah. we, we we say we're all Christians, but then we won't give Christians grace. Oh, of course. Like, well, and and in, in addition, it's like it's like, but the second the second anyone says, "Well, look, this is a big tent. This is a this is a large cross section of people from lots of different places working together for similar goals." The second you start talking about that, you start calling for unity. The second you start doing that. The initial, the immediate reaction from not everyone, but from a from a notable minority, is to roll their eyes and to say, "Oh, we've heard this before. It's never going to happen. And if it, because it's never going to happen, we're never going to work towards it." And those people, you know, this and this leads me into this leads me into to two things. Number one, a lot of these people are just at the end of the day, they're net negatives. And you know, you know, the there are those who are willing to give their lives right now for this cause, for the truth. Right. Which is all that matters as far as I'm concerned. Are you willing to give your life for the truth? Because that's the highest sacrifice you can make. And it's the the only sacrifice that really means something at the end of the day. Most and, of them aren't even willing to live their life for the truth, let alone die for it. Exactly. And it's and, much harder to actually live your life for the truth. Death is easy. Yeah. Duty that, no. and honor. Those are much more difficult to live by. Yeah, I suppose it's a lot harder to um uh, to be the man who who be the man who the valiant charge is meant to save rather than the man who's doing the valiant charge to save. I think I know what you mean by that. Um, yeah, it, Randall Thor from uh uh I can't the Wheel of Time series. His father Tamal Thor gives him this quote, which uh. Robert Jordan is the author, and it comes from uh, England, and, or mm. no, Japan. I forget. Anyway, but the quote is, death is lighter than, than a feather, duty heavier than a mountain. Mm-hmm. See, it's, it's, it's easy for people to go, oh, we'll go charge that hill, but they won't show up to their monthly council to say, hey, what's going on? It's, it's like, like yeah. if, you, if you don't even have the capacity to give enough of a shit to give 
what, four hours a month to making sure that your community is taken care of? No, I don't trust you that you're going to sit there and charge the hill with me because you failed the small stuff. The reason in the military that so much of basic training when I was in was focused on uniforms, was focused on shining boots, starching uniforms, and making sure that you looked good, Mm. right, was because habits are built off of small things. And what you fail at small, you will definitely fail at big, But you don't get to become a person who can succeed at great things unless you're a person who can succeed at insignificant things. Because success breeds success and failure breeds failure. So if you want to become a great man, you do it by becoming a man who can do minor insignificant shit with a smile on your face. Hmm. No, I found me an honor. No, I fundamentally agree, and and that's you know, and that's that's a lot of. That is a lot of what's missing. It's a lot of just sort of like, um, it's a lot of. Well, did you go to your to your, you know, not even as, as something as like almost auspicious sounding as going to your local you know t- county board meeting and sitting through um uh, two farmers arguing about someone's cow trampling over someone else's, <laughs> someone else's fence, something like that. But I'm a. Uh, you know, or even if it's something as simple as like getting up and doing your laundry and then folding those clothes and then hanging it up in your closet so that you have that's one less thing you have to worry about or having your room somewhat tidy or um uh, or or you know showing up and 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 um showing up at your work and you know don't obviously not burning yourself into the ground but you know making yourself useful winning the goodwill of your of your of your co-workers of your bosses of people around you right and then and then having that be a representation of the larger of the larger community of the larger group of people that you are fundamentally a part of being these right-wing spheres because none of us none of us would want to be here if we weren't if we weren't if we didn't want to represent it in some way shape or form in our everyday lives and there are grand ways of representing it and there are small ways of representing it and you know just having a somewhat kempt appearance, having having you know somewhat well groomed, well manicured, having you know dressing yourself properly, you know going out and and just interacting with people on a normal basis. Like these are all little things, and everyone and this 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 starts to sound like. And I understand when people start saying like, "Well, this just sounds like Jordan Peterson clean your penis advice," but like you know, I mean, it's everyone says it, and it's a truism because no one ever fucking does it, or like they don't, ne- they never do it. Not even I, I doubt even myself or yourself ever do it to the to the extent that it ever fully needs to be done, all the yeah. time, every day. Well, and so for example, when I was running for office, I'm a blue collared dude. I'm a diesel mechanic, right? So my attire is work boots and blue jeans when I'm working in a t-shirt. And when I'm doing housework or whatever, I'm wearing flip-flops and shorts. Because mm-hmm. why not? It's Texas. It's hot. So I went out and bought nice, well, nice for me, you know, black boots. And I went to Goodwill and I got a couple of uh, old jackets off the rack at Goodwill and, and got them fitted for me so that they would fit right. You know, I invested like 500 bucks into clothes, which may not sound like a lot to a lot of people but to a family man who's a diesel mechanic and is you know we're we we don't 
the reason I'm retired at 38 is not because I have a lot of money. It's because my expenses are very low, right? You can live off not much if you don't have much in the way of bills, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, we built our life around being able to spend time with our kids and, and doing things that we wanted to do by keeping expenses low. That's just who, that's how we are able to manage it. So 500 bucks for clothes is a lot of money for me. And probably for almost all of the, you know, these 18 year old guys. And then every single time I left my house and went out in public, didn't matter if I was shopping, didn't matter what I was doing. I dressed up and I put on my nice new jeans that didn't have holes or stains in them. I wore my nice boots. I shined my nice boots. I put on my jacket in Texas in the heat and didn't enjoy it one bit. But if I am going to ask to be a representative, then by definition, I must represent well. Now, did I keep my beard? Yes. Did I trim it so that it was more kempt? Because it's a little long right now and it's looking fairly glorious. But did I did I trim it down and, and make it, you know, more kempt and more able for old white women to vote for me? Absolutely <laughs> I did. Because that's the game. You know, and so don't don't get mad at the game. Just play play the game. Mm-hmm. You know what the rules are, and you sitting there and talking about how oh it's not fair that people judge me for my appearance. Life ain't fair. Suck it up, Buttercup. Mm-hmm. You want to be a representative? Then represent well. Mm-hmm. Look good, and be merry, mm-hmm. because nothing pisses off communists more than happy people. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah, and that's that's all that's all that's all stuff that that that's just goes without saying for for anyone who has a semblance of normalcy. And I suppose in eras previous to this, it was a lot it was a lot more drilled into people's skulls on an everyday basis. I guess that's why we call it high culture as opposed to whatever the hell we have now. Have you ever looked at pictures of farmers and factory workers from the nineteen forties and fifties and earlier? They would yeah. wear dress slacks and button up shirts to go farm to go Mm -hmm. to the factory and whatnot like if they left their house they were presentable Mm -hmm. they made an effort now they also didn't have jeans and a lot of stuff that we have now but still they made it a point that their community could be proud of them And in their community being proud of them, they were also proud of their community. So many people are concentrating on what their community can do for them and how, you know, they need to, you know, raise up their community and and build their community and all of this stuff. And it's like, you don't get to do any of that until you're a person that people want to deal with, which means You've got to become that person. Like before Noah could build the ark, he had to be Noah. Mm-hmm. Are you Noah yet? Like you, you're worried about the ark. You're not at the ark stage, Bubba. You're you're still trying to become Noah. <laughs> so before you can worry about generational conflict and you can worry about civil war and you can worry about all of those things, what you need to do is join your local volunteer fire department and start interacting with men who will hold you accountable and become a man that is worthy 
of becoming somebody mm-hmm. that can lead. In 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 a lot of times, the best way you can lead is just by following, mm-hmm. by by doing what you're told, but by doing it well, and doing it to the best of your ability. In in like that's where that Protestant work ethic comes in. Like, are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Are are you doing the best you can with what you got? And are you exhibiting God when you do it? Yeah, because everybody's always watching whether you know it or not. So you would better make sure that you're doing, like, honor God. If you can't do it for yourself, honor God. And mm-hmm. by all that's holy, show me the five people you spend the most time with, and I will show you your future. Mm-hmm. And if those five people suck, then you better find some new people. People that don't suck. And spend your time around them. Choose who you're going to invest your time with. Mm-hmm. Because time is a finite resource, and make sure that you spend that time where it will be valuable to you, to your community, to your nation, to your God. Make it happen. No, I agree with that, and 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 you know, one of one of the points I thought of earlier is um, uh, it's just kind of this this question that's kind of that kind of has to do with what you say. A lot of the a lot of the struggles that guys in the sphere are having now is is not knowing how to transition from this sort of uh, this late teenage sense, like coming into adulthood, and 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 learning how to to become this sort of man who who leads, who acts. Would you say? Would you say a very large part? And forgive me if this this if this sounds like a leading question, but would you say a very large part of going from being a being a a young man a, a, an 18 year old who no one listens to to an early 20 something all the way out into to eventually at some point becoming that man that people will listen to or at least consider is part of that learning how to subvert these grand notions these grand ideas not subvert but like put on the back burner these sort of grand notions of, of historical forces of, of all this other stuff that we, that men find themselves in and not just on the right, but just like, like youthful idealism is, is, is coming of age, finding a way to compromise that with, well, how do I feed myself tomorrow? How do I start building something, whether it's a career or otherwise to, um, uh, to, to, to make myself, a, a, a actor in this world to make myself someone who can act in this world. I, I would say that it, it it is incumbent upon individuals and men specifically, and, and we can talk about women uh, too, but it's in a different uh, perspective. But it, it's incumbent upon men to really fundamentally understand that a nation is made up of families mm-hmm. or, or of communities, and those communities are made up of families, and families are made up with men at the head. Mm -hmm. And so before you can sit there and worry about anything else, you have got to become a man because men are not born. They are made. They are made in the forge. It isn't until you have gone through the fire and actually experienced pain that you begin to realize who you are. You cannot read your way into enough pain to become a man. Like you can't just um, 
you you can't just talk to iron to iron to make it into steel. No, it has to go into the forge. It has to get beat with an iron with a with a hammer. Mm-hmm. That must happen. So in order for for boys to become men, they must experience pain. They must experience deprivation. They must experience loss, and they must actually put themselves into the forge of life. That's the only way it can happen. And the that's going to happen. Whether you like it or not, you're going to experience pain. The question is, are you experience or are you mindful about how this pain that you are currently experiencing is transforming you into the person you want to become? And are you choosing specific pain that will mold you in the direction you want to go because there's pain in being a 400 pound person who's who's sitting there listening you know to you know youtube all the time there's pain in the person who's reading all of these books but is painfully unable to communicate with the with people at large or more specifically with the opposite sex right there's pain in being 30 years old or or even you know even at 18 or 24 there's pain in 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 not being able to provide not being able to protect not being able not having women that are interested in you right all of these things bring pain but what are you doing with it and are you specifically placing yourself in position so you can become the man you need to become right so and it's going to take hardship. And so you have to just sit there and start placing yourself into advantageous hardship, like volunteer fire department. That means that you're giving up some of your free time to go associate with people and go do dangerous things that are of benefit to the community. But those type of men are the ones who can help you to become the man that you want to become. Um, Going to a church and, and, you know, if you're Catholic Knights of Columbus or, uh, you know, I was raised Southern Baptist, so we didn't necessarily, we had promise keepers at the time, right? Joining, you know, joining a Bible study. The Masons. Uh, Yeah, Masons. uh, Joining a Bible study, um, you know, putting yourself around other men. It is not, when when iron sharpens iron, it Mm -hmm. doesn't do it with softness. Right. It requires, especially at the beginning, a harsh burr to actually begin to shape what you will become. Mm. Like first you have the forge, then you've got the hammering, and then they can they're gonna take a really rough edge to start to file you down a little bit. And only as you begin to take shape, then you can start to lay off of it a little bit. It's much the same way with children, right? My 14-year-old, do I have to sit there and spank her? No. Because my 8-year-old happens a little bit more frequently. My 2-year-old, and, and of course, you know, we're, we're differentiating here, but my 2-year-old, he gets popped for, for stuff way more than the others do, although it's not nearly as violent, of course, right? And so it's like you, you, you have to build that foundation and as you become the person that you want to become, the amount of force that is required 
to continue the direction in the direction you want to go becomes less because you're more able to take slight criticism. You become able to 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 take smaller degrees where that 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 fine tune you to where you need to become as you become better, right? Like you know, it's just like uh, swinging a hammer. When you start off swinging a hammer, you're doing it wildly. Mm-hmm. But as you become proficient, as you keep doing it, as you keep doing it, then you can start to get to bigger hammers. Then you can start to become more proficient in your swing. You can learn different swings. You can go backhand and forehand and so on and so forth, right? But you don't start out that way. No one does. And th- this, I, I guess this is the, the, big, the biggest thing wherein our education system really fails is that it leaves so many people believing they're great and they might become great but they are not great yet and so people have this idea where it's like well i should be able to do this and so they vastly underestimate the amount of time it takes to become great again at 18 i was a retard i didn't have the time at 28 i was married with a kid and i was still 70% 70% retarded, maybe, maybe 50, somewhere around there. Like I, I was still nowhere near where I am today. And I am confident that when I look back at 48 to where I am at 38, I'm be like, how dare he sit there and talk about how he understands anything? He's a complete fool. Because for the 18-year-old that's listening, go and listen to an eight-year-old. Go listen to them. Go talk to them. And, and understand what a decade does to a human being. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the, and, and I realize that most people won't grasp this fully. It's going to look the same when you're 28. And you will listen to 18-year-olds. And you will go, my God, how did you ever manage to live? Like, how is it possible that Darwin hasn't taken you out yet? You are <laughs> absolutely retarded. <laughs> And this just continues year after year after year, right? And so choose, willingly take sacrifice ways so that you can become the man you want to become. Choose those sacrifices Mm -hmm. instead of having life thrust them upon you. Uh, That's the biggest thing that I would say. There's there's two things on that that I want to that I want to kind of, kind of talk about a little bit and then we'll, then we'll go into like our sort of closing comments. But the first thing is that I'm uh, in previous eras, back when we did have a civilization, back when we did have a high culture, right? Back when there was a, a it was called high culture because it was a higher way of life because all this stuff was almost automated. It was at the point where if you were a young, and that's why it seems like we lost something and now we're thinking about it so hard because when you were a young man, back in let's say the the 1910s or the 1920s and the 1930s right becoming a man was automated by the society through these things called formative institutions right you know you you mentioned earlier that you were a boy scout i too was a boy scout i'm an eagle scout um i was also in the order of the arrow um Mm -hmm. and uh and the the boy scouts right um was one formative institution right 
Uh, and it used to be, and, and the thing is, is that there was a carrot with this stick because the Boy Scouts, the Boy Scouts, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say it was difficult. Now looking at the army, it wasn't as difficult, but for a young kid who's like oh, 13, 14, who's never been out in the woods before, the Boy Scouts is a difficult experience based on what they have seen, right? Um, just in terms of uncomfort. Um, the, 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 the high school sports, varsity sports, that's another formative institution, right? You have to go through physical hardship. You have to learn how to work with a team, right? You need to learn how to cultivate a sort of set of behaviors within yourself in order for not only you to achieve success within the team, but for the team itself to achieve success, right? Going on into, into, into college and into, into adult life, you know, the army, the United States military was a formative institution. It takes you from one end and it turns you into something on the other end that is somewhat respectable, that knows how to act and dress in a certain way. Um, in college, college used to be a formative institution, but not just college. You know, I was in a fraternity, fraternities, you know, and many of them, if you, my fraternity was a good one that still tried to keep some traditions and, you know, these fraternities, they are meant to make you, you will act like a gentleman and we will ensure that you conduct yourself like a gentleman. And if you do not conduct yourself like a gentleman, you are no longer welcome here. Right. The point is I keep listing, listing these examples. These things still exist, but they don't form you the way they used to do, or they do it to a much lesser effect than they used to have. Right. You can still go through them. I've gone through a great many of these and learn lessons from it. But all that that means is that you need to impose upon yourself just because of the current age we live in. You need to impose upon yourself the formation that in previous ages, when we had a high culture, was automated. And in many ways, its automation is what made it vulnerable because no one, no one thought about it anymore. No one knew what they were giving up. So now that we have to think so hard and bring it about, well, it's been brought about. And actually, that's why I think the future is us on this side of things. Once we start voting with our feet, getting closer together geographically, which is almost inevitable, um, wh whether it happens quickly or not, having our own little clubs and institutions, you know, that we kind of try to bring back some of this. The second thing I wanted to mention based off of this is what you were talking about is a friend, friend of mine, he's Catholic and, you know, I... I'm not going to say one thing or another about my feelings on the Catholic church. Um, but he talks about this, this, this thing called the Holy fool. And the Holy fool is, is, is to give the audience an example of the Holy fool is who may not know. The Holy fool is the child in the story. The emperor has no clothes. He is the child who says, but the emperor has no clothes, which means he is, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like a sort of innocence of naivete and um, uh, and and not understanding this sort of uh, this sort of illusion that we're all upholding, you know, this I this idea that we're all agents is actually an illusion that we're upholding, thinking that we are separate from and immune to the will of God. Um, and what do you and what he said about it is it's like you know in the eye, you know how you were talking about you know when you talk to an eight year old as an eighteen year old, you think that's a retarded kid, but when you're a twenty eight year old talking to an eighteen year old, oh that's a retarded kid, and when you're a thirty eight year old talking to a twenty eight year old. Still, that's my, my father. He's in his fifties, and he calls his thirty-something, twenty-something coworkers kids. Um, yes. And it's like, but but what that all that that is is that in the eyes of God, everyone, all of us are fools. We're all fools, and wisdom comes at any age. You know, I found you know you know they say wisdom oft come from the mouth of babes. Wisdom can be wisdom is something you have, but it's not something you you are. 
right? It's It can be lost and gained at any point and at any age. But wisdom comes from sort of recognizing that no matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter whether others think you're foolish or you think you're foolish, at the end of the day, in the eyes of God, everything is foolish. Everyone is foolish. And that's kind of, those are the two things, those are the two things I sort of wanted to say off your, off your long point. Um, and I think, no, no, go ahead. I, I was going to, so real quick, mm -hmm. for whatever few females might actually list, listen. I don't know if I have any female subscribers, but continue. <laughs> People might have sisters, whatever. But mm -hmm. for ju just so you understand, the way that love is sacrifice, that's what we learn mm -hmm. through Jesus Christ. You demonstrate love through sacrifice, right? And so for women, what that means is you're going to have to sacrifice in order to love your children fully, mm -hmm. right? This means that, you know, this this concept that you can be the badass baby who has it all is wrong because you cannot have it all. Reality mm. will exert itself. And we are witnessing the children of the matriarchy that are wreaking havoc upon society and civilization today. We mm. just saw one up in Highland Parks recently. There will be more, you know, people without moms who are invested. Fathers instill order, mothers instill love and mm. empathy and sympathy, and you need both. Mm. So, women, your duty is to sacrifice for your children. It's not the same thing for men. My wife doesn't understand this, right? Her first priority in life is the children. Mm. My first priority in life is not the children. My first priority is to my wife, because I know that if she's taken care of, I know the kids are taken care of. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to look out for her. As a man, though, guess who's looking out for you? Fucking nobody but God. So you had better make sure that you get your shit tightened up. The the and in in I don't I think we're close to closing. So yeah, the analogy that I like to use. At least in my own head, and I haven't—I don't know how much I've flushed this out, but there are so many people who fundamentally misunderstand what order is. When we say mm -hmm. that we need to instill order, and they think that this is going to happen just magically, and it's like, mm -hmm. no, order is exerted through force. A house wherein time, energy, and money is not spent to maintain it will fall into disrepair, and it will require even more of your resources to bring it back to code, to bring it back up to, to good condition, right? That's society. That is civilization, because mm -hmm. we have just been letting it go on autopilot, and there's no such thing for society and civilization. We have not maintained it. And so the amount of force, the amount of time, energy, and effort that is going to have to be required to fix what is currently in existence is much larger than what most people think, but it's also much smaller because it starts by becoming a man who can exert order on his own life. 
Because until you can exert order on your own life, you cannot be a man who helps fix your community, your state, your nation. No, it I, I really, really does come back to men build thyself. Yeah, really. No, I think that's that's probably that is the 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 one of the probably I don't think we could have found a better way to end that. Um, well, thank you very much for coming on, Mister Ham. Uh, do you have anything you would like to shill? I'm just a pleb, dude. I'm a decent mechanic. I don't have any of that stuff. Well, um, uh, you can follow Mr. Ham at uh, hold on, let me pull up your Twitter real quick. Uh, you can follow screen. him on Twitter. Uh, just just watch what he does. Um, because he's a he's a very he's already run for Cong for uh for a state senate seat once, and I I think uh, I think it's not going to be the last time he does something like that. Um, and you know, God willing, he he does something like that again. But you can follow him on Twitter at Joshua underscore R underscore Ham. Uh, that's ham with two M's uh, on Twitter. And um, uh, please feel free to, um, uh, to give him your support in any, in any way you deem, you deem necessary. Um, otherwise, you all know where to find me. And thank you very much again for coming on, Mr. Ham. I, I greatly do appreciate it. And I think this is, this, is a very, this is going to be a very important and very helpful episode. And, and uh, if you do follow me on Twitter, my DMs are open. Feel free. Message me. And I will assist as best I can. My goal is, as as ridiculous as it sounds in my own head, um, you know, in, in the military, you're one of the biggest things that you have to do is you take care of jokes. You take mm -hmm. care of your, your, your guys, right? And so I look at the, the young people who are coming up who were just as retarded as I was, and I go, how can I help you? to become as successful as I am. And then that's the goal. I, I want to mentor and build more people because it's going to take good men to create a society for my children to live in, in peace. Yeah, no, that's, that's once again, out completely correct. And it's something I hope that everyone who listens will take to heart. And another thing, and a final thing that I hope that everyone who listens will take to heart, and I mean, I, I've, I've said it, it's probably going to be the eighth time I've said it, but um, uh, may you find foreign shores less appealing than your own. To the town of our free road, a stranger one fine day. Hardly spoke to folks around him, didn't have too much to say. No one dared to ask his business, no one dared to make a slip. The stranger there among them had a big iron on his hip, big iron on his hip. It was early in the morning when he rode into the town. He came riding from the south side, slowly looking all around. He's an outlaw, loose and running, came the whisper from each lip. And he's here to do some business with a big iron on his hip, big iron on his hip. In this town there lived an outlaw by the name of Texas Red. Many men had tried to take him and that many men were dead. He was vicious and a killer, though a youth of 
24 And the notches on his pistol numbered one in 19 more One in 19 more Now the stranger started talking, made it plain to folks around Was an Arizona ranger, wouldn't be too long in town he came here to take an outlaw back alive or maybe dead And he said it didn't matter, he was after Texas Red After Texas Red It wasn't long before the story was relayed to Texas Red But the outlaw didn't worry, men that tried before were dead Twenty men had tried to take him, twenty men had made a slip Twenty-one would be the ranger with the big iron on his hip Big iron on his hip The morning passed so quickly it was time for them to meet It was twenty past eleven when they walked out in the street Folks were watching from the windows, everybody held their breath They knew this handsome ranger was about to meet his death About to meet his death There was forty feet between them when they stopped to make their play And the swiftness of the ranger is still talked about today Texas red had not cleared leather for a bullet fairly ripped And the ranger's aim was deadly with the big iron on his hip Big iron on his hip It was over in a moment and the folks had gathered round There before them lay the body of the outlaw on the ground Oh, he might have went on living but he made one fatal slip When he tried to match the ranger with the big iron on his hip Big iron on his hip Big iron, big iron When he tried to match the ranger with the big iron on his hip Big iron on his hip